Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I have my PhD in history, but I'm an expert in whooping it up. Woohoo! White gloves and dirty documents. That's how this historian gets down. I am JMZ. I'm a doctor, and my prescription is more shade. Hello, welcome back to Historians on Housewives. You're here with me, Casey. Dr. Jane Mill, the millionaireist. Max Beer. In this episode, we will discuss legal theory, family law, high wealth families, and methods of passing on generational wealth. Our guest, Allison Tate, will apply these concepts to examples from Roni, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. So with that, Allison Tate is a professor of law at the University of Richmond, where she teaches family law trusts and estates, feminist legal thought, and critical legal theory. She writes about high-wealth families, where they organize their household economies, and how legal regulation promotes high-wealth exceptionalism. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Allison Tate. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're so happy to be chatting with you. Would you like to share your housewives tagline with us? (laughs) I would. I have to say, you know, you asked me to think of this. I mean, I completely overthought it and I thought of so many different things, but I finally, um, I finally settled on, uh, they say the taste is subjective, but if I'm the subject, my taste is exquisite. I love it. I like it. Actually, when I, when I read your tagline, (laughs) I was totally snorting and laughing to myself at the kitchen table. Uh, I, I think it's great. (laughs) Thank you. A lot of time did go into it, to be clear. <laughs> so, I'm glad. It had, it had like a good sassiness. Yeah. Right. You want a little sassy. It's, it's not like, it doesn't have the bitchy part to it, which is fine. I think as long as it's sassy. Yes. <laughs> so kind of a cool connection here that we uh, learned about you from fellow Bravo Demic, Noah Gwynn, who we interviewed yeah earlier uh, in this season and he sent us a lovely email about how he went to graduate school with you and that you are an excellent Bravo Demic and uh, encouraged us to reach out and so I was wondering to kick off this interview if you could tell us a bit about your own academic journey and the importance of that kind of cohort camaraderie along the way. 
Uh, which yeah. Is, which is also like an exciting thing for Jessica. K- Casey is being really highbrow. <laughs> Casey is being really highbrow. You know, I mean, this is a bravo. This is a historians on housewives. We are true to the discipline and that we're very rigid, but we want to dish. We want to hear stories about you and Noah too. Tell I us mean, more. that's true to the discipline of the housewives, right? Right. That's housewives, uh, that's a housewives analytic right there. Exactly. Um, who doesn't who doesn't want to spill some tea on Noah? Let's be honest. <laughs> um, Totally. Um, okay, so I'll start with the I'll start with the highbrow and then go to, then go to the, the Noah story. Um, so I guess I mean my academic journey was sort of I always tell people it was a bit of a checkered path or a checkered you know path I guess. Um, I met Noah in graduate school. I went to graduate school um, with Noah in the French department, French literature, and I was an early modernist, and um, we had a great time in graduate school. To be clear, together. And uh, then I somehow ended up in law school. I actually worked for two years in between um, graduate school and law school. And then I ended up in law school. And uh, some of the things that I, I took, some of the things from the French work in French, and I sort of added new things onto it. And now I teach in a law school, um, which is kind of crazy. It's never where I thought I would be ever. Um, I used to think of law school and think of those poor, sad people who were so, so boring. <laughs> And now I teach there. Um, so it's been a journey. Um, it's been interesting. And part of the fun of being in a lot of different, being sort of situated in different places and with different cohorts and different areas of the university is meeting all these great people like Noah. Um, I currently work with uh, you know a friend of mine from law school. So sort of being with people along the road and being with them for this journey is great. I mean, obviously it's nice to have, at, you know, at the time it's nice to have people there just for support, uh, you know, people who are readers, people who are, you know, interlocutors and people who help you with your work um, and people to drink with, obviously. Um, but it's also fun to watch people develop over time and think about the different stages, you know, sort of career stages that, that Noah and I have been in and um, watch people become the great, um, the great academics and the great people that you knew they were going to be. So that's fun, too. I love um, that. So yeah. Yeah, so Noah and I had a great time in graduate school. Like, I don't know if anybody ever had a better time together. <laughs> he used to live right across the street from me. I could like actually see him. I could see him from my window. Um, so we would like have lots of dinners together, lots of drinks together. Um, his dogs would come over to my apartment and chew up my shoes. By the way, um, and there were just a lot of late nights, a lot of um, a lot of wine, a lot of cooking. Um, there may or may not have been some some activities like in bathtubs and closets and some enemas involved. I'm just, I don't know. I'm not going to go on. <laughs> Whoa. That That's so housewives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it was like a Mexico city trip, except for like, it was just, you know, in one block of new Haven. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be the best moment in all of uh, historians on housewives history. <laughs> it is like the it's most perfect crossover, some I think. Bathtubs, some closets, some animals. I'm in. I'm hooked. Let's go. Where are we going for the season? <laughs> I mean, where can you go from there, right? Where where can you go? So but but we can go somewhere. But, but and um so how did you get that? I mean, how do you even follow that? So how did you get hooked on reality TV after that lead in? <laughs> okay, so that's actually funny. So it's another so Noah, like, you know, Noah go to another friend of mine from law school who I now who now works with me, uh, um, as a professor here also at the law school. He uh 
he always told me to start watching this during law school, like start watching the housewives. And he watched all of the housewives with two other friends of ours. And they were always telling me this is something I should watch. And, you know, I just thought this was tragic. I was like, God, that's so terrible. If they watch it, I feel so sorry for them. Um, and it was not something I was into at all. Um, and then somehow when I was, so I moved to New York after uh, law school and I was doing a fellowship and I think it was right before I moved down to Virginia where I am now. And I was like very stressed out. I just needed something to watch. There was a lot of episodes. So I started watching the housewives and I started with New York because as we'll discuss, you know, further on, I think in the episode, like I work on, um, I work on high wealth families and I work on sort of the laws around high wealth families. So I was like, great, I'll, I'll learn about some high wealth families. That'll be great. And I started watching New York. And I was like, this isn't, I don't like this. Like Bethany schlepping her cupcakes to stop and shop. And, you know, this is when, what was that woman named Alex was on? And she's like, we have a million dollar home in Brooklyn. Like that's the median price of real estate in Brooklyn. So I stopped watching that and I started watching Beverly Hills. I think I just watched like five episodes in like a week while I was packing. And then I kind of went from there. I went from Beverly Hills to Vanderpump and I went back to New York. Um, and then it just became, yeah, it just sort of grew on me. Do you have a favorite hits list of feminist legal theory and critical legal theory? Where do you recommend people start? That's a, that's a good question too. And I was also thinking about that, overthinking that because there's so many places um, to start and so many places to, uh, so many ways of plan, you know, in legal, critical legal theory to go, depending on, you know, what areas of law you're more interested in. Um, since I'm kind of a property person, uh, things that I always point people toward for, to start are um, some of the work of Patricia Williams, who I think is fantastic. And she wrote an essay that I particularly like about on being property. And she's just a beautiful writer. And she, you know, tells the story of, uh, you know, being a person with, a, you know, a legacy of, bound, you know, enslavement in her family and being in law school and sort of that, uh, that mixed, you know, that mixed feeling and the tension about the two, but just also more generally speaks really um, beautifully about straddling this boundary between personhood and objecthood. And I think it's really, all of her work is beautiful. I like that one in particular. I also point people to um, Cheryl Harris's uh, article, Whiteness is Property, which I think is a really fantastic. It came out in 93 and it was, um, there was a lot of, commentary fantastic. and chatter about fantastic and it's yeah it's a fantastic article and it's sort of they just had a sort of a moment where they were re, you know sort of revisiting the really the groundbreaking work that she did when she published that and how you know how it's still really informing how we think about obviously both whiteness and property um so those are places where i, I tell people to start and things that i like um and places i like to start i was thinking you know more currently people writing now, there's just a ton of great people. And again, sort of depends on whether you're interested in, you know, decarceration or sort of, you know, families and immigration or whatever it is, sort of, there's a lot of things. Um, I was, I would point people to, however, sort of an interesting series that has been um, published and they're called Feminist Judgments. And they're now, they started off with one, it was Supreme Court decisions, but now there's a feminist judgments in every, there's like one for torts and one for family law and one for trust in the states and one for each sort of subject discipline within law. Um, but it's really funny or fun. And I guess sometimes funny, fun in terms of 
uh, what they do, the project is to take, you know, sort of leading decisions in each area and rewrite them from a feminist perspective, construed broadly, um, however people want to define that. But what difference would it make if, you know, opinions had been written by people with, with different understandings and coming from a different perspective? Um, I wrote one and it was really fun. I mean, you have to use sort of like the law at the time and, um, you know, you can't sort of reach forward. Uh, but they're really, really fun. And it just shows you how you could come out with totally different, um, you know, outcomes and how sort of the course of legal precedence could have been changed or would have been different with different people thinking about it from a different, you know, vantage point. So I always uh, tell people to look at those as well. Was was there a particular source or a moment that kind of caught you and prompted this drastic change in fields that yeah. you've gone through? Yeah, so it's interesting because, it, you know, on the face of it, it looks really drastic and really quite um, unusual to fit the two together. Somehow in my mind, it was very much, it was a slow, it was a slow incorporation of, or I guess, integration of both together. Um, and what I worked on in graduate school, my dissertation was about, was about um, household economies in 17th century, in 17th century theater. Um, and the sort of the role of the figure of the mistress and the woman in the household as a political metaphor for the sovereign. But thinking about sort of how household economies run, what, it, what marriage means in terms of, a, again, a metaphor for power and sovereignty, um, and what it was to sort of look at wealth and power within a household and how they transferred from one household to another. So it was really about the things that I'm interested in now, too, which is sort of marriage and money and inheritance. Um, but it was all in terms of how it was, how it was cast in, in theater and how we thought about that and what it made us understand or what it uh, sort of revealed to us about political structures at the time. Um, and so then I started kind of getting interested in legal history, I guess, because I was like, huh, well, marriage and you know, what were the rules about marriage and what were marriage contracts and you so know, what, who didn't inherit, did women inherit? And so I started actually like looking at legal history. With an example of this kind of in like, old literature and drama be something like King Lear? Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's, that's right on point with inheritance, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just, so I was looking at that. I mean, I'm sure there actually are some good articles about King Lear and inheritance. I was looking at mostly about uh, Pierre Cornet and a little bit of La Bruyere, not, not a theatrical, not a playwright, um, and Moliere. Um so a little more French, but yeah, exactly right. And thinking about, and this is sort of thinking, looking at looking at salons a lot, sort of like the the, the site and the space of the salon in seventeenth century um, French theater, and you know how it's represented because it's this completely sort of feminized, female dominated, but also feminized space, and how again how power sort of circulated there. That's actually really cool. Uh, it's really cool that you came from theater into kind of um, a legal framing. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, Jessica Marie Johnson's new book, Wicked Flesh. And um, mm-hmm. have you read it yet? I mean, we can dish about that, too. I haven't thought <laughs> it's on my list. I'm like, it's there. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. be interested in hearing what what you think about it, um, because she's one of the first people that I read that kind of looked at marriage law and inheritance in a way that related to not just slavery, but enslaved people and free black people. And I said, oh, well, this is interesting. 
So, yeah. so it's interesting then that you made this legal overlap. I'm, I'm a complete overthinker. So you are in, in <laughs> this Same is where point. I'm going with this. I'm a complete overthinker. So now I'm overthinking this and we'll come back probably at the end and say, so about this theater to law, I have another question, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be ready for it now. I'm on, I'm on notice. Okay, great. Let's, let's, let's give uh, credit to a more thought out question versus my rambling. So can you give us the expert weigh in on what is happening on, on Real Housewives of New York. Look, we see Dorinda Medley and Sonia Morgan with her family crest. We should go steaming in the hall. Look at you. I love what you have on here. Thanks. This, this is really This is one of your awesome. designs? What is that? You have to do this. This is gorgeous. The shoes are amazing. Those are... Oh, these are mine. Oh, I love. Now I have the shoe collection. Sonia Morgan, New York by French Soul. And the shoes are beautiful. My daughter's proud of it. And that's all I care. That's forever I've been wearing this. The deer's from the, my family crest. Wait a second, do you really have a family crest? Yeah, I wear this every day. Who's your family? Yeah. This is from no, my ex-husband. Oh, you're, since you're, very your husband's family. Pretty, they're beautiful actually. But I would feel like an idiot to walk around in Ralph's family's tartan. She's not a Morgan, her daughter's a Morgan. You don't get a bloodline by injection. Just because you sleep with someone, I mean, my God, if that happened, she would have every title in the book. And then some. Well, whose name do you have? Well, I Medley. Say Medley. And who's that? That's my late husband. Right, so you kept his name, right? I guess, yeah. Isn't that similar? Not really, no. I don't walk around with the Medley family crest. You have the monogram on your luggage. Is she allowed to have a deer and a slipper? I carry Mrs. Medley out of respect for my late husband. That's different than divorcing someone. I'm just saying for me, I just I don't feel like an idiot. I go to the family museums in Paris. I'm on the board. They need every Morgan they can get. We're dropping like flies. Speak for yourself, Dorinda, but I feel very comfortable wearing the Morgan insignia. I'm still very much a part of the family and the history, and I have a huge responsibility, and I'm not letting this family down. Um, so yeah. how is this standoff representative of your work? Does Dorinda have more of a claim to Medley than Sonia has to Morgan? Yeah. Do either of the, Do either of them have a claim? It's, I mean, I just love this clip. Like, there's so many things happening in there, right? Like, there's so many things. And actually, like, the sort of, like, the analytic insight of Bethany is shockingly good. Um, so there's a couple things, right? You get you get Sonia, who, you know, is wearing the ring because it's the crest, you know, it's the Morgan crest. And Dorinda's like, that's completely stupid. And as Bethany says, like, she's bullying. Um, she's just being a bully. She's like, I don't go around with that. And then Bethany, like, wisely says, but well, you have your husband's last name. You know, you're... and Dorinda's like, well, it's, you know, that's nothing. That's not the same at all. What does she say? She's like, just because you sleep with somebody, right? You're not part of their family. It's like, well, that's not the point. Number one, right? Number one is you were both married. And that is actually what happens when you marry somebody. You gain access to a lot of the things, you know, a lot of the forms of capital that they have, whether it's a crest or whether it's the social, you know, social or cultural capital, or obviously with housewives, right? Economic capital. Like you gain access to that. You know, Sonia's talking about how she's, uh, right, how she's a Morgan and they're dropping like flies. It's kind of like when they, then they went to the museum, right, with the, with the letters and she had that breakdown there too. Um, but you are, you do have a right to those things. And of course, Dorinda makes this point that like, you know, Sonia got divorced and, you know, her husband died. So there's, you know, there's that difference. But it's actually really interesting, you know, like sort of historically, like the, you know, marriage history, thinking about what you, um, what you ha again, what you have a claim to as a spouse when you marry into a family. 
and you know there's a whole lot of, of history about you know families basically just trying to preserve what you know they generally call their bloodline wealth which makes it sound so gross um maybe gross anyway but that's a gross way of saying it right so the bloodline so in this um, sense because the morgans are such a dynastic family and sonia essentially is um, responsible for birthing that Morgan heir. Does that essentially put her into this kind of important sacred Morgan position that she is identifying? Or do you think that this is something that she is uh, blowing up? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like she did get divorced obviously, but she did have, you know, she has a child who is part of the family and she wants to continue to identify herself with that family. And like she did, she does have that marriage. I mean, Look at Luann. She continues to call herself a countess, right? Like, should she be doing that? That's an open question. <laughs> but like how, you know, I guess it's just like how much, how much do you get through marriage? Um, right. Number one sort of, and then you are part of the history, whether, whether that family likes it or not, once you've married into it, you know, um, and the, you know, the history of many families. And of course, you know, there's only the, only certain families get their histories written like the Morgans, other families don't get their histories written. Um, and the history is full of, you know, how the, how the family has changed through marriage. And so whether or not she's, whether it was through death or divorce that the marriage ended, she's still actually a part of Morgan history. Now, do they want her wearing that ring? I don't know that. Right. But she is actually a part of their, you know, she's like been written into their family history at this point. Um, I mean, the rights about, so that's one thing. I mean, the rights about what you have a right to a divorce is something else. I mean, you could certainly like ask a number of women about what kind of rights you get at divorce. I mean, you, you know, you could have, you could look at the Princess Diana situation or, you know, any, uh, Fergie. I mean, you could also just have a divorce without divorcing your, your spouse. You could be like, you know, Harry and Meghan. Um, anyway, like, what do you have a right to when the marriage ends? And Sonia is basically taking this claim that she has a right to sort of identify with the family. And that's part of, you know, it's part of who she is, even though she's no longer married. And that's part of who she is through her daughter. And she's like, I'm going to take it. And Dorinda just wants to bully her over it. So, yeah, it's interesting. Are family law and divorce law essentially the same? Are they different with areas of overlap? Um, just mm-hmm. wondering how interchangeable those kinds of... Yeah. Um, like uh, characterizations are. Yeah. So also uh, that brings up some really interesting things because the divorce law is basically a part of family law. Um, It's one part of several, you know, many parts of family law. Um, It's one that we talk a lot about in family law because uh, there's a lot of cases about it. And this is a lot of what you do if you practice, you divorce people, right? You write prenups and you divorce people. These are also the cases that come to, you know, that come not only come to court, but the ones that get appealed and the ones that get written up, right? And I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of discussion about this within family law. Um, but why is it that this populates our textbook? It's because, you know, the cases that sort of get appealed and the cases that are interesting legally are ones that are basically about families with uh, some, at least some modicum of money to make it into court, right? And to have the resources to like fight these divorces. Um, so it is, and it has been traditionally a pretty big part of family law, but family law is also much more expansive, right? It's about, uh, it intersects with all kinds of things. It intersects with immigration and, you know, it intersects with tax law. Um, it's about, you know, child protective services and, you know, who gets to keep their children and whose interest 
in their children are who's you know who's voluntarily terminated as a parent, involuntary or voluntarily, um, by the state. Right? It's about um, it's about thinking about those types of things also. And um, I was thinking about the thing about you know about child protective services, and there's you know we talk a lot in family law about who's you know whose parenting is uh, micromanaged and hyper. Uh, you know, hyper-disciplined and hyper-surveilled, right? Obviously, it's usually, uh, you know, black and brown women who have, who live in poverty. And the things that they're, the things that they're penalized for in terms of their parenting are things that if you look at high-wealth women, like let's just take any of the housewives, you know, they generally wouldn't be penalized for in terms of their parenting. And I'm not going to say any of the, I'm not going to talk about anybody's parenting, right? But like this, you know, the things that the, going off and being drunk, you know, half of the time would for another person, right. Have to be a, a source or the grounds for taking your child away. What, um, what constitutes a high wealth family and what kinds of regulations promote the, this high wealth exceptionalism? Is this kind of yeah, like the, so, uh, is this kind of like the estate tax? Sorry. No, so that's actually like, so yeah, so high wealth is hard to define uh, generally because, um, you know, we don't have, we don't have the markers of, of sort of class that other, you know, that like other Western countries do. We don't have, you know, titles or anything like that. So um, high wealth is generally defined by sort of wealth managers, wealth and, you know, investors, financial planners, and they generally define high wealth as families or individuals with, uh, you know, they're looking at basically your liquid assets. So outside of your, you know, house, outside of sort of real estate type of, if it's, unless it's an investment holding, you're looking at kind of people with liquid assets generally of 25 million or more. And so that's one way of looking at it. That's sort of just a, a handy way of thinking about what, you know, what might constitute high wealth. Um, but in terms of like, right, we never, we never, we don't have good ways of talking about class. Uh, so we talk about wealth in these sort of very arbitrary ways and so you know you're 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 high wealth if you're in this you're ultra high wealth if you're in this category depending on again your um your liquid your liquid assets but who you know who constitutes a like elite family is a whole another interesting question because nobody you know nobody really wants to say that's what they are (laughs) you have a lot of the thinking of some of the uh, work in sociology about our you know sort of focusing on high wealth families and thinking of rachel sherman's book and you know, you have people always say, oh, we're just normal. <laughs> so, I mean, no one's ever going to say like, oh, yeah, we're like, we're the ultra rich. It's just, it's defined by other people in this arbitrary way to give us one way of making, you know, making some sense out of it. If you were to guess or um, kind of conservatively estimate, estimate how many of the real housewives do you think fall into this high wealth family now that you're talking about it? I'm actually wondering how many of them might have liquidity upwards of 25 million dollars yeah i'm guessing not most of them i mean like on on new york right like bethany's by far has the greatest net worth um but most of them i mean like ramona like no um so i don't think there's a lot and i think it depends what you know which which you know which real housewives you're looking at but even in new york i don't think you're gonna most of them aren't gonna fit in that category Okay. I mean, Sonia's major wealth right, is, is her is her townhouse that she's now renting out. You can look at. I would look at it. You can see you know, she's renting it out for I think thirty five thousand a month. And the pictures look very nice. 
Just a mere $35,000 a month. Just you a mere $35,000 a month, You have right? to love New York. You have to love New York. <laughs> I know, right? so, so let's jump to the other coast. Let's jump to the West Coast. Let's talk about the Giardi divorce because we uh-huh. hear you're using it in your course. <laughs> yeah. Can you share with us how you're applying Bravo News like this in your teaching? I, I do it all the time. I love it. I want to hear from yeah. an expert now how you actually do it, though. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm a, I'm a repeat amateur, I guess. So any tips you have would be fantastic. I just like them. I mean, so a lot of, you know, a lot of what uh, I teach in sort of the basic family law and trust and estates classes is, is just sort of pretty, you know, it's not particularly interesting doctrine. It's just the rules of how things work. And, um, you know, there's obviously like interesting, like policy and theory questions that are attendant to it. But a lot of it's also just getting sort of the rules right in the first place. Um, and so it's always more fun to talk about the rules and apply them to something that people, you know, that people watch, right? <laughs> it makes it feel, you know, a strange way relatable. Obviously, you know, relatable is a is a unusual term to use here, but something that people are interested in, something that people watch. Um, and so I've used a number of Real Housewives. The Girardi divorce was just a gift. Um, and the same semester, I used Mary Cosby, too, and her, her inheritance, and oh. that was also a gift. Yeah, that was wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, we, we're going to talk about Mary later, because <laughs> you know I'm from Salt Lake, <laughs> so I have all kinds of things to say. Uh, but let's oh stick to... So there's so many things about her. But so yeah, so many I things. Um, you know, and I basically, like, I have them go through and talk about... Um, so with the, with the Girardi divorce, I had, uh, you know, a lot of questions about what were the grounds? Is it no fault? What if they'd had, what if they'd actually had, had an agreement that they could have, uh, you know, basically consensual non-monogamy, you know, would one of them still have a grounds for divorce for adultery? Um, you know, basically what kind of assets do they have? And are those assets marital property? Are those assets separate property? You know, what kind of factors will the court look at when they're distributing the marital property? You know, like who contributed what to the marriage, like all that kind of stuff. Uh, just to make it more interesting for them to think about it. <laughs> I, you know, I like, I use all kinds of stuff. I try to pull from like, you know, like various things, and, you know, cause like obviously not everyone watches the housewives, even though they should, you know, I've used like empire. Um, I use Grace and Frankie. Cause I was like, who doesn't want to talk about like a, you know, a family business about sex toys for the 70 plus audience. Um, you know, all kinds of things. So yeah. I'm trying to think of the other ones that were popular. Uh, yeah, the Empire one was a good one. I like that. Anyway, so yeah, I think, you know, I try to pull from different places, but I think it makes it more, it makes more fun to like learn rules when you can think about it and watch TV. It works for me. It works for me. Casey, what time is it? It's time for our Bunko Party Game Break. (laughs) Yay. Is there a clapping? Do we have the clapping sound still? (laughs) Thank you. Yay. Okay. So today's Bonco party, I call, oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> like, there's a baby under my feet. Uh, today's uh, Bonco party game, we are calling custody agreement. So mm. I am going to ask the panel of Allison, Jessica, and Max, which person in the partnership I throw out, they would pick as their primary person in in the event of divorce, um, you will collectively make this decision and then there will be like a sort of a law and order confirmation sound at the end. Okay. Um, 
I will say that not all of these people are actually married partners. Uh, I'm doing this in some ways uh, with kind of those uh, iconic Bravo pairings, you know, like the peanut butter jellies of, of the Bravo <laughs> cast. Mm-hmm. Okay, our first our first step on custody agreement. Craig and Austin from Southern Charm. Mm, oh my God. <laughs> Who do you want to be your primary, uh, uh, I guess, uh, familial unit? Let me just make oh sure my. I understand. Which one was with Madison? Austin. Okay. Austin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is rough. That is rough. Divorce always is. Oh <laughs> and you're right, you're right. Okay, this is so terrible. I'm going to pick Austin. I never thought I'd say that. Really? Why? Wait, what? <laughs> Max wants pillows. <laughs> I wanna I wanna be married to the pillow empire. You're not gonna be like it's more like he like Craig would Craig or Austin would be like your like primary parent. That's why it's the, the custody. Problem is agreement. Craig's never gonna have a pillow empire because he's lazy. I thought he was doing really well on home shopping network. I mean, that's what they say. Come on, you've seen him with that sort of thing. You know how lazy he is. I'm just a Chris fool is for like, Craig, you got anything for me? Like, come on. He does have a cute cat, though. I will say that. He has a cute cat. I'm concerned that Austin is um, not good with boring. money. Boring. Boring and not good with money. More than that's, I mean, let's be clear. That's true. He did also did not get his business going, his brewery. That also failed. So I guess I shouldn't penalize Craig for a failed business. Which do you think is more, who do you think is more likely to succeed? Austin's beer company or Craig's (laughs) pillows? Well, Craig's pillows because Patricia will make it happen. Okay. Yeah. So I I pulled you over to Craig's side. (laughs) Are Patricia and Craig getting along anymore? Well, that's another question. I was going to say you lawyered me over to Craig, man. (laughs) Good work. Um, that's a good question, right? Or do they actually get along anymore? They must. Otherwise, she would have stopped this whole thing. I think within the last two episodes that I did see of Southern Charm, they were getting to, they were getting along again. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it things are so touch and go on the on the on the social media verse. Well, mm. It always <laughs> it can always change. Well, you know, none of this <laughs> is real. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be really, uh, the other thing I'd be worried about with Austin is that he seems like when he gets upset, he spends a lot of time on the couch watching Hallmark oh, he's movies. a moper. Yeah, he yeah. mopes a lot. None a knock on Hallmark, Craig, but. Craig spends a lot of time on the couch, too, just kind of like recovering from being him. <laughs> right? Well, like, he has to have that personal assistant to, like, order him, like, like you know, processed meat sticks. Yeah. I'm going to call flag on the play and say that I don't think either one of these are appropriate uh, guardians. I'm thrilled that you went back to an old Bravo game that I did. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it, I think yes. I called it yes, foul I on did. the play. Yes, yes I did. I'm I'm like so touched. Yes, foul on the play. I will say that neither <laughs> of these individuals are are uh, the right person. Are you are you guardian. going for like that self emancipation? You don't want to be in this unit. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I don't want to become I, a ward of the state, but maybe one has to. I guess. I guess here's the question: like, who would you appoint guardian? Like, I mean, the obvious, like, the obvious thing would, would be Cam, but she's annoying too. 
I would still probably pick Craig in that situation because I think he would have his assistant take care of the child. Yeah. I'm going to the top. Okay. Andy for, Andy at Bravo. <laughs> Bravo, <laughs> Andy. <laughs> I, mean, I kind of feel like, like there's almost a slight revolt going on here because, like, you guys are making up your own new option. <laughs> oh, yes. Let's stick to the rules. Let's stick to the rules. Okay. I just, like, I guess I just want to say, like, as an experiment, can we just give Shep a child and see what happens? Yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah, we could do that. I will say okay. that the the Max and I went to BravoCon and I asked Catherine a question and I thought she was, you know, her answer was fine and I walked away from the mic and Shep also piped in with a little story and I thought, "Oh, uh-huh. it's really endearing to me at this moment." So, for uh-huh. that one moment, despite anything else, oh, bes- despite relationship <laughs> and everything else, sure, why not? He might okay. be rise to okay. the occasion. Okay. Maybe, right? He, so, he so Shep is going <laughs> to supervise your visitation? <laughs> okay, it doesn't, it's starting yeah. not to sound very well. It's starting not to sound very good. So, Craig Amazing. or Austin? Oh. Craig, I guess. All right, Craig. 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 All right. The okay. court rules, Craig. The next, the next dynamic duo of Ramona and Sonia. Oh God, that's so easy, Sonia. Yeah, Sonia. Yeah. You know, you know, she touched the letter with her hand when they were at the museum. <laughs> so I just don't feel that I can go with Sonia. <laughs> Remember, she was oh. like the letters, the letters, and they were touched that with letter. her hand. No, I would go with Sonia too, absolutely, hands down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I w- I wouldn't give. I was gonna say I wouldn't give Marona my cat. Of course, I would. I wouldn't give Ramona like. A pet rock. Good lord. <laughs> She'd end up going to some party in the Hamptons and, and, and starving all of us. Exactly. Absolutely not. I would like to see a reality show starring Avery. She mm. probably, yeah. That could be her, good. her relationship with her mother, although I'm sure she's been through enough trauma as it is that, like, why put her through that? But, you know, if she's game. I was looking at her website the other day, like her, like her art website. She's really going. She's really going out to like brand herself. Okay. It's like okay. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So we're going Sonia. Sonia. Sonia for so- sure. Waiting for the sound. <laughs> All right. Uh, our only married couple for this game: Bronwyn and Sean Wyndham Burke. Ooh. Well, I have this answer because I saw in the last episode. I saw Sean was watching a. Sean was on the last episode. Sean was wearing a Brigham Young University T-shirt, and I went oh. to the University of Utah. And these are long-standing rivals. This is like Michigan uh-huh. State and Michigan. So, okay, not that he wears a necklace, not that he's a weirdo, but because uh-huh. just because of his T-shirt choice, I must choose Bronwyn. Okay, is, is Sean a Mormon? Oh, yes. It's very <laughs> subtle. It's very subtle wow. in the show. I mean, all the kids. But it's very oh, subtle. Yeah, I guess it's also. very subtle. Uh-huh. Wait, wait, wait. Really? I didn't realize he was Mormon. Would I lie about such a thing? How do you know? Because yeah. Mormons, we know each other. Mormons have tags <laughs> on one another. We know each other. Oh, my goodness. There you go. It's very subtle. Uh, the fact that it's just coming up now. But, yes, I would have to go with Bronwyn and all her experimentations based on the shirt that Sean wore all by, just alone. Did Bronwyn convert? 
Or I don't, they it not? Doesn't, doesn't look that way. But she he doesn't did, strike me as a no. Convert. And even if she did, she she'd be out now. I mean, I don't know yeah. if they're still practicing Mormon yeah. because, well, you know, now they have an open relationship yeah. on national television. So right. even uh-huh. if Sean is a Mormon, he won't be a Mormon for much longer. Uh huh. I mean, I don't know. Like in Salt Lake, they're all about the the. the Mormons 2.0, right? The swingers. They are. You know, Salt Lake is the one of the biggest swinging communities. I mean, Real Housewives of Salt Lake I did mean, not that's lie. What Whitney keeps saying. That's yes. what Whitney keeps saying. At least I won't believe her. Well, I think the subtext of the entire Salt Lake show is everyone's a swinger, and that's why everyone's upset at each other. That's my entire <laughs> subtext. <laughs> like, yeah. That is yeah. So maybe they could like do a little like cross cross pollination between the shows. That is some intense alleging. <laughs> Intense <laughs> alleging. We're not even to that part of the storyline yet. Okay, right, so right. my choice is Bronwyn. Who's who else is? Who, who's I'm going to say Bronwyn. I'm not. I like. Yeah, I'm going to say Bronwyn. I'm fine going on Bronwyn. I'm just concerned that Bronwyn seems to be leaving her children alone with Sean a lot. Oh, so we'd be left with them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So I feel like we got to be good with Sean as it is. Okay, I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, but <laughs> for sake of argument, I'm fine going Bronwyn too. She okay. seems like a party. Oh, she's definitely a party. <laughs> definitely a party. She's definitely, definitely a party. A party. She's definitely a party. <laughs> Though Sean seems so financially stable. I mean, how else can he take care of all those kids? And I'm and expensive. Right. And I'm expensive. Yeah. So let me rethink this. <laughs> I mean, if you want someone to listen to you when you actually talk, maybe Sean. I mean, he seems like somebody, if he got divorced, he would be absolutely like, he would pay his child support, you know, and like, she would get a good, she would get a good settlement. So, yeah, like, I don't see financial concerns on her part. So does this mean we're all going with wrong one with the, with the caveat that we know we're going to end up reverting to Sean taking care of us? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, yeah, I'm good with that. Casey, did we annihilate your game? <laughs> uh, no, for some strange reason, I feel like the baby is annihilating the game. You can't see this, Allison, but he is like sitting on the table. He is like trying to crawl for donuts and oh God, the soundboard. He is like, and I'm just like, am I letting this happen? I'm usually so serious <laughs> and I'm just like, I kind of have to roll with it at this point. He has a yeah, microphone like, in his hand. Yeah, I mean, he's... He, he, he's he is doing a lot. He's not doing it as much as their cat has done in in past past episodes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Next funny. up, Giselle and Robin. Oh jeez. Um, you oh, know what? God. I would actually be happy with either one of them. Okay, you're gonna have to tell me more about that because that is not not in my well i do think giselle is delusional about pastor jamal um but she's raised you know her kids seem very level-headed and they're like yeah our dad isn't shit so why are you with him robin i think Uh robin is a good wife and a good mother but okay i think both women suffer from denial about what their relationship is about but i do think they're both good mothers i was gonna say i think all of the children from her just really fantastic yeah what's the uh controversy with robin's husband yeah one one yeah is he um well he he finally proposed again so they're engaged again that's right on again off again and he had an interesting relationship with michael 
Michael Darby. Michael Darby. Oh. I'm not saying, I'm huh? sorry, let me, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Juan did not have an interesting relationship with, with Michael Darby. Michael Darby had an interesting relationship with Juan. Go back to the scene and go back to Twitter's when Juan actually proposes to Robin. Michael lost his mind. Really? Yes. Interesting. How, what happened? How you so? got, go back to the Twitter's. Okay. I don't know if it was, look, I might take credit for a black Twitter, but people were like, Michael has lost his mind over this conversation, of this, over this moment. He was not happy. And I don't know if that's because he has dirt on Juan. I just feel that Michael has a very interesting attachment to Juan. Juan strikes me as that guy that's going to be, you know, friendly with everyone. Yeah. Like a guy's guy. So, um, yeah, what was the question? Giselle or Robin? Um, I don't know. That was a hard one. I think they both have great kids, so. Who do you think is going to have, who do you think is going to have the, uh, the most drama attached to them? Oh, Giselle. Really? I feel like if Robin is your prime parent, though, you might not ever get anywhere on time. You're never going to get anywhere on time. <laughs> like, you're going to miss your flight. You're going to miss your flight. But I'll tell you what. She, um, I don't know. Robin, to me, kind of moves in a quieter manner than Giselle. I get that vibe, too. Yeah, she's a, a quieter. Um, They'll both build you fantastic houses. Yeah, I think Robin and I are in the same sorority, so she already inherits me anyway. So there's that. So I have to go with Robin. But I think it's tough. I actually think they're both great mothers. Like I said, I try to make some of these kind of tough. Like some of them should not be obvious. Look at Max. Uh, Yeah, it's a struggle. I don't know. Allison, do you have any thoughts on this? I have to say, like, I'm not a Potomac watcher, so it's, like, hard for me to to weigh in on this one. Mm -hmm. But I will all defer. I feel like we're leaning towards Robin a bit, but but I don't know if that's the right. I still don't know. If that's well, with Giselle choice. comes Pastor Jamal at the moment. Yeah. And he just allegedly had yet another child without Giselle. Yeah, okay. So Robin. You can't be around that. That's I mean, it's lot. just a lot. I follow him on Facebook and Twitter, so, you know, I'm all with it. And with Robin, or with um, Giselle, because she's, like, the pastor's fiancé, wife. Ex-wife. Ex-wife. Boo. That, that's a lot of, like, getting dressed up, going to, yeah, we'd have to functions. To Not just a function. One of the biggest mega churches in Atlanta. Yeah, mass. do you want to be at the center of that? Well, it depends on the day, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the day, I mean, but I, no. I, I, no. I've watched Greenleaf. I know how that goes. <laughs> so are you are you are you good with Robin? Yeah. All right. Robin it is. Now let's not get to Robin's house. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's a lag time on the sound effect. Pause. I'll wait. Pause. It's over. <laughs> it's okay. Let's not get to Robin's and have Allison say, What? You didn't tell me this, this, and that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Heather and Whitney. Heather Dubrow? No, no, no. Heather and Whitney, Salt Lake City, the cousins. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, gosh. Do you want want the full service, you know, beauty spa or or not? Well, Whitney lives by my sister. So that would mean I could just run, you know, down the street and see my sister without my... (laughs) Um, 
gosh, I feel like, okay, I'm now thinking about their, this is not how, I'm not supposed to probably do this, but I'm thinking about their husbands. Like, who would your father be? Ooh. It seems like Whitney's Ooh. husband is, is, I would rather have Whitney's husband. I'm, I'm, again, assuming that's the father is a completely, that's completely on no basis. Uh, versus Heather's husband that's creepy. He was a little odd, wasn't he? But does, yeah. but does he have to be in the picture since she's kind of a single mom no, now? No, no, I also feel he like doesn't. Heather is going to listen to you if you have a problem. Like, Heather seems like she, on like a good day, would give you some, I don't know, decent advice. Yeah. Actually, I feel like, honestly, they both wouldn't, they both wouldn't be terrible. Like, Whitney's going to be a fun mom. Is a fun mom. Does she, she has kids, I guess. Like, she's fun. Um, you know, you'd have, like, a stripper pole party for your birthday. With Whitney, uh, though, yeah. I'm concerned about her connections to the January 6th insurrection. Because she was friends with that person, right? Oh. Yes. Allegedly. Oh. <laughs> our, 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 our super sleuth, Casey, deduced this based on uh, okay. posts. Based on Ooh. various social media happenings. Yeah, I... I I'm thinking about like how many oh, white supremacists right. are hanging out around. Well, uh, it is Utah. It is yeah. Utah, and I will only speak to what I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, or uh, maybe Heather. Maybe Heather. <laughs> Heather would be better. Hmm. Well, I mean, now that you've now that you've like thrown that in the in there, like I mean Heather, right? And she has a spa, right? That that's mm-hmm. her. Yeah, so like we can get some spa action going. Yeah, she's got a she's got a got a spa to it, although you have to share it with the three other ones, I guess. Well, the other thing, well, and then if you have Whitney, now then you also inherit Whitney's father. True, I was just thinking about and that. He's a bit of a, he's a bit of a oh my gosh, that hair! Wow. I it's look something. at him every time, and I'm still like, are we sure he's not Whitney? Smolder Smith from Southern Charm. <laughs> I know. Oh, you're also like, it's, it's amazing that he's actually like a hairstylist by like, you know, professional training. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what the name of his salon was to see if I ever went to it while I was in Salt Lake, but the name didn't ring a bell. Okay, so what's next, Casey? Hold on. <laughs> so that's a Heather. That's a Heather, I guess. All right, Heather. I think Heather was your consensus. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that concludes our Bonko Party game break. Okay. Here we go. So we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, Allison. Yeah. What, what have you been watching or rewatching during the pandemic? Any recommendations? Well, I mean, as we sort of talked about, and I think we'll talk about more, like, I mean, Salt Lake was a gift. It was just a gift. That was one of the true gifts of the, of the pandemic. Um, you know, I watched New York. New York, just, I just, like, just needs a reboot so badly. I watched Vanderpump. Um, and then I did start watching Family Karma, which I liked a lot. Um, I thought that was good. I kind of reached back, and I watched a couple things. I watched Million Dollar Decorator. Um, so that was fun. Um, oh, I also watched Mexican Dynasty. I don't know why that didn't continue. That was so good. I really, um, it was so good. I really liked it. Uh, Mexican Dynasty's 
premiered at the same time with Texacanas, and I liked both shows. I thought they were so different from what we typically see on Bravo. Uh, the mm-hmm. drama was good, and I thought that there was a lot there to talk about in terms of just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the transnational lives that so many people live. Yeah. Also, they did the smartest thing, which I don't know why they don't do it on these other shows, is interviewing the staff. Imagine like that. That's brilliant. I mean, it's, right. First of all, imagine that. And then also, I mean, like, where else are you going to get the best information and the best, like, gossip? Like, yeah. that's, like, the most obvious source. And it's, like, it's unclear why we don't, like, why the other ones don't do that. Yeah, the inter- the little camera shots and interviews with the... Were they housekeepers or the cooks? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, they, they interviewed, I think, a number of different, there was one was a house, one woman was the housekeeper, uh, another yeah. woman was one of the cooks, there were some personal assistants, um, but I mean, interviewing, uh, you know, those, those people who worked in the house was just brilliant. Yeah, I'm blanking on the name of that family with the two sons, that musical family, uh, what was their oh, name? Oh, yeah. But, uh, I know, I'm so, yeah. But, um. It was they were so entertaining to mm-hmm. watch, uh, so dramatic, um, so much going on. I could have watched many seasons of them. Yeah, I was I was sad that it did not get renewed. I thought that was a that was a one that was a keeper, but I guess not. I did hear that um, Family Karma is going to come back with a new season. I heard that too. I was excited about that. I do like I do like Family Karma. Yeah. I liked it okay. I liked it okay. Maybe by the second yeah. season, they'll have their own kind of shtick. I felt that it was very, you know, it, it kind of fit into the Bravo formula and not everything needs yeah. to fit into a Bravo formula, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were kind of trying to find, also like trying to find their, they're trying to find their rhythm, right? Trying to figure out exactly like, you know, who's going to play, you know, who's going to take on what role and how are they going to, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to curate their characters? Basically, they were trying to figure out, which is amazing because Salt Lake, like they just came out, like they just came out, right? They came out running. <laughs> they came out like, running. Like, wow. The family, the main family in Mexican dynasties was um, Allende. The mother was Mari. Oh, yeah. And then I think the uh-huh. older son was Elan. Mm-hmm. And the younger son was Adan. Yeah. And the father was Fernando. And so Fernando <laughs> Allende had had this massive career in the right. music industry right. in Mexico already. And so uh, yeah. I think all the other families were kind of linked up through Fernando <laughs> and, and Mary <laughs> Allende. Allende. And then yeah. right. it, it branched out from there. Anyway, I, w- I wish that came back. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Like you were talking about, like being late. I was like, wasn't that like one of the first episodes of the you know the only season and the that family they were trying to get out for a fire for a fire drill. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, like there's a fire drill in their building and they're literally like planning for a day. Like, what are they going to take? You know, what, what kind of things do they need to take with them for a fire drill? Right? And then the fire like the fire alarm actually came on and they were so discombobulated and couldn't figure out what to take and what to do and. By the time they were almost ready to go, not quite ready to go, the fire drill was over, right? They were like, okay, well, I guess we'll just stay here. It was amazing. Yeah, that was a good one. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. 
Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, so let's go back um, to talking about your work a little bit more. How does property law, this is a rough transition, but how does property law act as the counterpoint to law surrounding high wealth families? Like where does wealth redistribution or lack thereof fit into these dynamics? Yeah, so that is, so that actually takes us back to, I think Max mentioned earlier, things like the estate tax, right? Um, so I think that high wealth, like studying high wealth families and looking at high wealth, um, sort of the legal framework around high wealth families is, uh, interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, there's sort of the the binary moral discourse that happens, you know, the, the, the moral discourse around sort of poor families of poverty and how different that moral discourse is than the one around rich, rich families, right, and high-wealth families. But then, so there's those type, there are those, those harms, those sort of discursive and cultural harms. Then there's also just really like plain economic harms that result from the way that we treat high-wealth families and the way that we, uh, you know, regulate high wealth families. You know, they get they get ex- exempted from rules. They sometimes they're just totally different rules, um, or they're not actually regulated at all, right? And in a lot of ways, you know, we think that it's disconnected from what's happening more generally to the population, but it actually has an enormous finance takes an enormous financial toll, sort of on the collective good and on common good and on people who need money. <laughs> Uh, you know, and people who could be receiving money through government programs, right? I mean, what these families are doing are taking money out of the tax base. They're taking money out of all of these various sources of income that the government should have. And it's depriving all of us of money that should be in there and should be going to services um, that could be, you know, providing, helping other families flourish as opposed to helping 
high wealth families increase their, you know, accumulate more wealth and um, sort of sit outside of regulatory domains and frameworks. That description was, was helpful. So let's go to trust versus estates. Does, mm-hmm. does Vicki Gunvalson's life insurance uh, fit into this somehow as a method of accumulating and transferring wealth? I mean, what, where, what do we do with Vicki and all her wealth? <laughs> yeah. So there's kind of different ways of saying it. So trust in the states, right? I mean, this is like all of this is about wealth transfer. Um, and again, like sort of the different rules that are, uh, that are um, attendant to different forms of wealth transfer. Um, so you have different rules for wills. You have different rules for trusts. You have different rules for different forms of transfer. Um, but some of it's also just about like retirement planning, right? Like I think doesn't Vicky like sell life insurance and annuities? I guess. Is that what she does, man? I think she does. Yeah, I think that's what yeah. she does. Anyway, Allegedly. so like some of it's just like, yeah, some of it's retirement safety, but some of it's also like life insurance. Again, this sort of comes back to the fact that, you know, if you have a lot of resources, you can plan certain ways to avoid, you know, avoid erosion to your capital and to avoid paying tax, you know, paying mm-hmm. high taxes. And so, you know, there's things like life insurance trust where you put your life insurance in a trust. And then, you know, you save yourself various forms of taxation and you save yourself various forms of sort of, you know, regulatory intervention and you pass money down without a whole lot of, without a whole lot of problems. Um, so yeah, so wealth, so wealth transfer takes place through a lot of mechanisms and life insurance is definitely one of them. And, um, you know, you think about all of the ways that all of these, you know, it'd be lovely to, interesting to know about all of the ways in which these women sort of like manage their money. Um, but you know, what we can be very clear on is that they have, you know, they have strong financial planning in place that is, um, and taking advantage of these rules again that sort of give them um, exceptional, like there's an exceptionalist treatment that they get and they are taking advantage of it. Okay, so that brings us to Mary Cosby. So, yeah. Oh my God. So, <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I have to say one more time that I'm from Salt Lake. Yeah, but does, I'm so excited about this. Does Mary Cosby provide a good example of family wealth accumulation and maintenance? Oh my gosh, she seems to. I mean, again, like I don't know the particulars exactly of how this has all passed down. I mean, does anyone? She, does anyone? <laughs> right, exactly. Does she? Probably not. I don't think she's so. Like, <laughs> she's like, the will said I had to marry my step-grandfather, so okay. <laughs> um, okay. But clearly, right, like clearly uh, uh, from what it seems, from what we could tell right on the show, her grandmother has passed down this enormous amount of wealth to her and mostly to her alone. She might've given some money to other people, but mostly to Mary, you know, I mean, Mary doesn't even know how many houses she has, right? right. She's going to build a whole new house because she wants a closet. So wow. she, and you know, that you know, the, the room that she has with all of her, you know, all of her clothes, it's just amazing. Right. Um, so yeah, she's certainly like, certainly this is a dynasty at work. You have the grandmother who's passed on this to Mary, who, you know, will uh, presumably pass this down to her son. Um, but it's a, it's a, also a good example of how sort of what passes down through generations, like sort of the, I mean, there's enough sort of inequality that inheres in passing down wealth through generations, but it's also about passing down other things, right? I mean, she's passed down to her this sort of lucrative business, this church. Mm-hmm. Um, she's passed down to her lots of social capital, right? Lots mm-hmm. of cultural capital have also been passed down um, to Mary by her grandmother. And then of course she also did pass down the step-grandfather. Right. That's the unusual part. 
So they had um, at one point on one city block in Salt Lake City, they had um, one of the only black hair shops. So mm. FYI, at the reunion, someone made fun of Mary's wig and Mary's like, there's no black hairdressers in Salt Lake. You, yeah, you, you, yeah. Almost, you used to own a black hair shop in Salt Lake. You, you, your uh, family. Yeah. <laughs> oh then they had at some point two and then a third uh, soul food restaurant. And then I also think they had a, a gospel music shop on all in the same block, like one right wow. next to each other. So it is a pretty yeah. significant dynasty. Yeah, absolutely. That is. That's amazing. And, and that's it just sounds one like city. it was all built up by her grandmother. Is yes. that correct? Yes. So her grandmother was sort of extraordinary in building well. Yes. And now Mary's the beneficiary of all of this. Yeah. Interesting. That sounds phenomenal. I mean, the other thing which is interesting about it, I mean, there's sort of like leads one to sort of think about and talk about, right? Or like sort of, you know, it's amazing that Mary's grandmother did accumulate wealth like this because it's, you know, the the obstacles right that have been put in in front of uh, Black Americans in terms of creating and accumulating wealth are enormous, obviously, and we're, you know even just you know, obviously uh, you know enslaved people could not own property, could not inherit property, could not you know give property down through generations. But even even post you know post uh, slavery, we obviously have created enormous obstacles to wealth accumulation. And we look at the racial wealth gap and how huge it is, even in right the one percent. And um, what Mary's grandmother did is phenomenal, and put Mary in this amazing place, um, which is really, uh, really, you know, <laughs> it's easy to make fun of and be like, I can't believe she doesn't know how many houses she has, but I don't think Bethany did either. I'm not clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> good point. Good point. In um. So. Moving to Vanderpump Rules, in season eight, Brittany Cartwright had yeah. a Disney princess wedding shower. She sure did. <laughs> she sure did. She sure how, did. How did that moment speak to notions of marrying up or other aspects of creating and maintaining family wealth? Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting on so many levels, right? I mean, on the first most obvious level, there's just this, you know, this idea that all of them, you know, all of them now live in the suburb and have been pulled into the, you know, into the, the, into the dream uh, or nightmare or whatever we might want the vision, right? This like promoted vision of marriage that everybody wants to have. Um, and it's interesting because Housewives is premised on this notion that like the marriage is only the beginning, right? And then after that, that's when all of these women start their lives as the housewives. And that's what we're focusing on. Like these women seem to have like, basically this idea that they're going to get married, move to the suburbs and sort of that's the end of their story. Like now they're going to have to, you know, but now they're going to all start having babies, obviously. But there's this, um, it's just so fascinating, right? Sort of the pull of the pull of marriage and the pull of the suburbs and the, the, like the legal promotion and the cultural promotion of marriage is this end all be all sort of like, it's like the end times. Right. So that was interesting. Um, and then I think one of the things that we, you know, we think about, I think about a lot with marriage is how marriage is uh, basically a driver of inequality, right? I mean, we provision everything, our, you know, we've made a political legal choice to provision everything through marriage. Um, and so people who are not married don't, you know, don't get some thousand, you know, benefits that, that married couples do. And, you know, this is obviously what was at stake, um, you know, in Obergefell and all of the same-sex marriage cases that we, you know, we love marriage. We, we, 
we collectively as a, you know, as a, um, as a legal framework, the, the law loves marriage. And this is how we, this is like one of the ways that we keep, you know, it's both through like, it's both through inheritance and it's through marriage and it's through like the, which family ties we recognize and which ones, you know, do we subsidize? Like marriage is the biggest subsidy package ever. Right? So <laughs> they've like been pulled into this. It's this, you know, this dream, which has literally been sort of Disneyfied and, you know, made into a cartoon. They're like now living a cartoon life as these Disney princesses <laughs> in the suburbs. And they've like, you know, sort of moved into this dream uh, that is actually also, you know, a, a moment where they've embraced the idea that this is how they're going to live. And this is what they're going to do without sort of recognizing, which, you know, we never usually do with these things about marriage, that marriage is also this, again, creator of vast forms of inequality. Which is, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, what's, uh, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, I find it in, I, I was just reading recently that um, there may already be some marital discord between uh, Jax and Brittany because Jax wants to move to Kentucky to raise their kids. Surprised? Oh, am I surprised? No, not at all. I'm su- not at all. I mean, I'm surprised that anybody can stand Jax for more than, right. I don't know. 10 Two seconds. seconds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you gave him eight more than I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I was feeling generous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I wonder, is there something to also, uh, the, the you talking about the suburbs and how she wants to raise her family on the West Coast, and I don't know, this is just sort of a free-floating idea of, like, is there something to... Um, the geography of marrying up, right? Getting married in California mm-hmm. versus moving to Kentucky as part of this Disney princess ideal. Right. I mean, there's clearly, I mean, there's like lots of marrying up, right? There's lots of, I mean, the entire, if you look at any of the franchises, it's all about, not always about marrying up, but almost always about how, how, what kind of deal these women are making in marriage, right? Like they're all, usually marrying up and it's all like, they're like, they're sort of a throwback to, you know, like Victorian novels about the marriage market, right? Like that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's definitely about yeah. either marrying up or sustaining wealth. Right. 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 And I mean, obviously like a lot of them too have like done really well. It's not just marrying up, but it's divorcing. <laughs> they've done really well at divorce. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Like they've, they've, which is, again, it's kind of interesting because, the you know the whole premise of most of the housewife show is that like we're either post you know they're sort of like post marriage in the sense that like we don't hear about the you know the marital relationship we don't hear about the kids they might still be married a lot of them are divorced right or several times divorced um and so we see them sort of moving on to something else some other phase but they've all gotten there right because generally because they got married at some point and yeah it's been a it's been a vehicle I mean, think of all the the new New York wise, right? Like all of the vehicle for like basically gaining an entree to some sort of like social scene and social network in New York by being divorced, by being married in the first place, and then divorce is sort of right, giving them the free afterward. Yeah, divorce to me always seems kind of like, especially with Roni, the like the stamp of having lived a life, right? Like yeah. in a way that like Luann talks about going yeah. to prison and then like getting divorced right. and blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. Yeah. it becomes like a way of like, 
I've matured. I am now, I don't know. It's not, if marriage is like I'm transitioning into womanhood and for some of these women, motherhood as well, then it's also like I'm transitioning into like... To Bravo. I'm transitioning to Bravo. Bravo society. I'm transitioning into the Bravo phase of my life. Thank you very much. No more questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. The second phase of their life is like I got married. I did that. I like, you know, through my marriage, I gained some sort of, again, like social, economic, and cultural capital. And now, you know what I'm going to do? Not only am I going to like, you know, sell myself and, you know, be a celebrity, I am going to like, they all want to. They all want to form some kind of vanity business, right? Yeah, like they all want. To, they all want to now become business women. Like and it's, it's, uh, and it's usually post divorce. Like Bethany really yeah, sort of exactly. breaks the mold of that, but like, yeah, Luann. Well, of course, I give like the no Luann with her cabaret. Um, yeah, Sonia sure. with her toasters. I, I could just hear. Else. I could just hear the air quotes around cabaret. Yeah. <laughs> That's a talent yeah. to put air co- quotes around your voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, like right. It's the, like the post. The post wife persona is this like this businesswoman, and I mean, actually, Salt Lake is like a little bit different. I mean, I'm thinking about Lisa and Meredith and how you know into their brands they are, but uh-huh. it's still like post sort of children, right? It's like my new thing. My the big thing is to be a businesswoman. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's like this. Uh, yeah. This, I don't know, it's some fetish of, like, business as a signal that you're not only, you know, not only, like, capable of, you know, creating something profitable, but you're industrious and you're, you know, you're uh, it, some kind of, right, it signals, like, a certain kind of intelligence and ambition that they all like. That, like, marriage kept them from. Like, I go back yeah. to Tamara and, like, the way that she talked about yeah. Simon saying that, like, he always held me back. I was never supposed to just be a stay-at-home mom and housewife. And now, like, that she's married to Eddie, she's able to also, um, or or adjacent to the fact that she's married to Eddie, like, she, um, she also now runs a, um, a, a gym. Right, she has a hemp mm-hmm. company. Yeah. Like becoming a businesswoman was almost being hindered by her marriage, to a certain degree. Yeah, I mean, look at look at um look at Heather, right, with her beauty salon. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like her. She's like, I could never have done this while I was married, but now I'm not. Luckily, so <laughs> here I go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the weird one is um is Lisa, right, with her her kids. I mean, oh, again, yeah. this is a little bit different because she's still married, but she's like. I'm a great mother because I'm going to like let my children build this, you know, what male cosmetic male beauty product empire. <laughs> yeah, it'll be their legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's um, it called, Wolf? Oh, I don't know. What is his? Just because it's called like, Wolf. I don't know. What are you talking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you say Wolf. All I know is Wolfgang uh, Van Halen was on the Today Show today. I mean, <laughs> that's my connection to Wolf. <laughs> there you go. Was he talking about his father's estate? He was not talking about his father's, father's estate oh. per se. He was talking about his new single. Well, kind of an old single now. And then they asked if Van Halen was going to go on tour. And he said they have to wait uh-huh. and see, you know, just how some things are going to shake out. I assume that meant yeah. legal things. Right? Yeah, I bet. 
branding, yeah. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So he wasn't talking about it per se, but thank you for bringing it back to the theme of the show, Allison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great save. Great save. <laughs> Who would you say uh-huh. is your favorite Bravo Liberty and why? Oh my gosh. Um, I was thinking about it. I mean, there's a couple people that I really like. I really like Lisa Vanderpump a lot. Um, I also, I like Patricia Altrul, I have to say. I'm, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. They, have, they, they share a lot of characteristics, right? They like, I would say, I mean, I would, yeah, those are probably my two favorites. I like them a lot. I mean, Lisa just seems, obviously, again, she's a, with a business, like a business, but she seems like she's actually like, a person who has been sort of building this over many, many years. Some of it's actually quite successful. Um, she also seems like somebody who is actually interested in the charities that she supports, like her pets, the right. pet charity. Like a lot of the charity work seems very performative. Um, she seems actually kind of interested in it. Um, both, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Ta- uh, Ken obviously has like, no say on anything from what we can tell <laughs> you know the couple times he has opened his mouth it was like oh ken please stop um she's like yeah she's like made herself over like a number of years right into this into this persona that like way before she became a housewife right she started this work really early um and she kind of did it all by herself right it wasn't necessarily just by getting married and right right then moving on to her second phase. I feel like she's sort of been like striving for a long time. I actually like, I was doing a little, must have did a little Google on her last night. Did you know that she probably knew this? She was in the, the um, 1983, the video, the ABC video, Poison Arrow. I didn't know that, but I didn't know she had an acting career um, or a B or I mean, C was, list acting what, career. Yeah, I was like, B is very generous, I think. No, I try. I was like, oh my god, she was clicking. Like she was the she was the star of the video. I, I think that's kind of that maybe her claim to fame, honestly, for the, her acting career. <laughs> so, on that case, Allison, we have had a great time with you. So, why don't you tell us what's next for you and what you want people to know about your upcoming work? And of course, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Sure. Um, well, this has been like the most fun I've had on a Friday afternoon. It's so wonderful. So I'll be back every Friday afternoon. That's my new plan. Sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> okay. Why not? We'll be here. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, so what are my future plans? So I'm basically the stuff that I, you know, we talked about. I am working on a book right now that sort of covers all of these, um, all of these topics, right? About it really talks about the sort of the dance between like high wealth families and uh, regulatory frameworks and how sort of historically and currently, right, there's a, um, a responsiveness and a sort of a flexibility or a suppleness to the ways in which these high wealth families manage to reshape laws and also just various forms of regulation to, uh, to basically to suit their purposes, right? And how, again, how like there's a plasticity to, um, both their desires and their strategies uh, to um, to basically capture uh, to capture law and to capture legal frameworks, and um, so that's kind of what I'm working on. And it will it's just kind of starting, so it's a it's a beginning stages type of thing. So I'm going to be working on that um, again. So the you know manipulation of law, exploitation, right, of these various forms of capital by 
these families and also sort of trying to bring in, uh, which I think is important at all in all of these conversations to think not just about the economic capital that is circulating here and how it circulates, right? The different economies of it, but also the economies of both cultural and social capital. So that's kind of on my agenda is to, um, to be working on that. And what else? How can people get in, how can people get in touch with you? How can people get in touch with me? They can uh, they can email me. It's just atate uh, at richmond.edu. You can always uh, you can follow me on Twitter, and you can see a lot of pictures of my cats that way. Um, and you can I mean you can send me you can send me registered mail. I don't know if that <laughs> more more probably like a private messenger. I would say <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> If I saw a registered mail, I'd probably hide from the delivery guy and be like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't we all at this but point? But, yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly, right? It's like, oh, no, it was the Amazon guy. Come back, Amazon guy. Right. But, um, but I love, I would love to, yeah, <laughs> I'd love to talk about any of these things with every anybody and everybody. So get in touch and, um, yeah, that's it. As always, you can find us at historiansonhousewives.com, where you can propose your own episode topic, ask us questions, and send us feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at historiansh. And don't forget that you can like and review the podcast on your podcast platform. You can also find us at our Etsy shop, Historians Housewives. This episode was powered by Acast. Thank you, Allison Tate. This show is brought to you with the support by Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, Kim Bettendorf, Courtney Crow, Lara Loper, Luis Asio de Dios, and the Agipon Foundation. And remember, scholars do bravo too. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.